We're back. Hopefully you got uh, some good food uh, or some fruit as well. Um, again, our heart for today, uh, I know this is uh, maybe a little bit different than what uh, you might be used to, but that's okay. Um, I'm excited to share with you today uh, a series that we're actually launching uh, next um, Sunday. And the series that we're going to be launching is just a series called 30 Years That Changed the World. Uh, 30 Years That Changed the World. And uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to walk through uh, the book of Acts. And uh, I've been really, really excited to do uh, this series for some time uh, because if I, as I have studied and been preparing, uh, it's a pretty phenomenal 30 years. Uh, between 33 AD and 64 AD, uh, if what happened in those crucial 30 years didn't happen, you and I would not actually be sitting here today. Uh, we would be living in a very, very different world. And so I'm excited to launch into uh, that series next week uh, called 30 Years. And my hope or my heart for you today is to introduce you to some people uh, that were some key players, uh, some men and women who played a major role in what took place in 30 years and in the 30 years that actually changed the world, changed world history uh, forever. So before I jump in, let me pray one more time. God, we love you. We give thanks for a time like this to connect uh, with you. Uh, God, we give thanks for a time like this to open up your word. And uh, God, just examine and see what your word would have to say to us. God, I give thanks that you know every single man and woman uh, and child that's here right now. And God, you know more than just our name. You know us through and through. God, you know our hurts. You know our hangups. You know our disappointments. You know our frustrations. God, you know our, our, our doubts. You know our questions. So God, you know us, and I just ask that you would meet each of us in this place. God, if there's someone here today that just needs an encouraging word, God, I pray that they would be encouraged by you. God, if someone just needs to be convicted, God, I pray that you would bring a word of conviction. God, if there's someone that's just lost a semblance of hope, God, I pray that you would restore. God, that you would inspire as only you can. God, I give thanks for uh, the men and women um, 2,000 years ago, uh, that took the invitation from Jesus seriously. And you used them to change the world, the, the world we live in. Uh, so God, would you just please come and bless uh, this time? We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so let me start with a question. And the question is, uh, is Jesus worth it? Now, I obviously don't know where every single person is uh, here spiritually. Uh, you might be here today, and this is the first time you've ever even heard of Jesus' name. Uh, you may have been in relationship with Jesus for a long time, but wherever you are on the spectrum and in between there, is Jesus, is he worth it? And when I'm asking, is Jesus worth it, what I'm asking is, is Jesus worth all of you, all of the time? Or is Jesus just like a part-time? Like, we tend to... Uh, break our lives into different categories. We have a category for relationships and family and, and friends and fun and playtime and work time and school time. And, and where does Jesus fit into all of the different categories that you have in your life? Is it just part of the time Jesus is worth it? Or when you consider this question, is Jesus worth it? How do you answer that? I'm excited this morning uh, to introduce you to some people who stake their life 
on, yeah, Jesus is absolutely worth it. At the end of the day, this is a really crucial question because how you answer it is obviously going to depend on how you live. And you, you got to make a choice. There's a great author, uh, David Platt, and he said this in regards to, is Jesus worth it and the choice we need to make? He said, we can rest content in casual, convenient, cozy, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to the safety and the security this world offers. We can coast through a cultural landscape marked by materialism, characterized by consumerism, and engulfed in individualism. We can assent to the spirit of this age and choose to spend our lives seeking worldly pleasures, acquiring worldly possessions, and pursuing worldly ambitions, all under the banner of cultural Christianity. Or, or we can decide that Jesus is worth more than this. You got to make a choice. You can just settle for a life of just being comfortable and things being convenient and, and cozy and not having things disturbed too much. Or how you answer this question, is Jesus worth it? When I consider a man named the Apostle Paul, uh, he was a man that had an incredible incredible encounter with Jesus, and he found in Jesus something worth losing everything else for. So when he met Jesus, his declaration was, I have found someone that is worth losing absolutely everything else for. And he says this in Acts chapter 20, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Isn't that amazing? My life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me unless I'm using my life to finish the work that Jesus gave me. Well, what's the work? To tell other people about the wonderful grace of God. He was so convinced that Jesus was worth it. Take away everything else in my life. Worldly power, possessions. I lose it all. Because in Christ, I found something, someone in particular, worth losing it all for. But before there was Paul, there was a group of men and women who also discovered that Jesus is worth it. And they staked their lives on Jesus. And because they did, because they declared that Jesus is worth it, 30 years changed the world. And not just their world, in those 30 years, it changed our world. 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this handful of men and women who took Jesus seriously at his invitation and said he's worth it. I want to ask you to consider five things. Now, as I walk through these five things, I'm going to do it pretty quickly, and I want to ask that you would actually consider, meaning think about these things. What must it have been like for them? If it was you and you were in that situation in their shoes, hearing and seeing the things that they were hearing and seeing, what would it have been like for you? So don't consider it in an abstract way, consider it in a personal way. What must it have been like? So the first thing I'd ask you to consider is this, consider the invitation. Consider the invitation. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, come, follow me, Jesus said. That is a phenomenal invitation. Have you ever gone up to someone and said, hey, come follow me. I think most of us would not do that because we'd either see the arrogance in that or we'd feel the weight of, well, what are they going to do if they're following me? What am I going to do for them? Where am I going to take them? 
What do I have to show them that they can't see on themselves? What I love about Jesus is he knew that he was worth following, and so he invited this group of men to follow him. He was convinced that he had a plan and a purpose for them, a path for them to walk. And he knew that the path that he was inviting them to walk with him was so much better than the path of just settling for a career in fishing or just settling for a career and just trying to survive life and survive this world. Jesus knew he was worth following. He came to a group of men and he said, come follow me. How about this? Consider not only the invitation, but consider the promise. And I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus clearly knew that these men's professions, by and large, was fishermen. And the promise was not to further their profession, but to help them fulfill their purpose. It wasn't like when he says, uh, when I ask you to consider the promise, I will make you fishers of men. This was not an invitation of, hey, I'm going to make you better at your career. I'm going to make you more successful in your profession. Jesus was, the promise was, I'll make you fishers, is another way of saying, I'm going to help you to enter into, embrace fully, and live out fully God's purposes for you. And it's not to catch fish, kill them, and then sell them for a profit. It's to catch people. And then to release them so they too would enter into, embrace, and enjoy living out their God-given purpose. So consider the invitation. Consider the promise. Consider the response. Number three, consider their response. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Now, I have no idea what these guys knew about Jesus before the invitation came. But I do know this. They knew enough. They knew enough that the one who was inviting them was, was worth following. They left everything. They left their family business. They left everything that was known and nailed down and comfortable and convenient in their life, even if it was hard. And it says in verse 20, at once they left their nets and they followed him. They knew enough. I meet a lot of people that said, well, I can't follow Jesus yet. I I got too many questions. I got too many hangups. I got too many doubts. I got too many fears. There's got to come a point where I see in this example of considering the response, they knew enough. They didn't know everything, but they knew enough to say he is worth following. How about number four? Consider what they witnessed. Imagine this if you can. Can you imagine what it would have been like? To hear Jesus teaching firsthand, not only teaching the crowds, but can you imagine the conversations that just took place between Jesus and this group of guys behind closed doors? Can you imagine the questions that were going back and forth and the things that Jesus was sharing with them? Consider what they witnessed. These they, blind people receiving their sight, people who could not hear. They were deaf. Jesus, by just a spoken word, they received their hearing back. Can you imagine if you saw that? Can you imagine if you saw someone who was paralyzed, who was crippled and could not walk, was bound to life in a, a, a wheelchair, 
And it just, Jesus tells them up and they start walking. Consider that they saw people who were dead raised back to life. Consider what these guys witnessed. Consider the the uh, miracles of nature, walking on water, calming a storm with, again, just a spoken word, feeding thousands upon thousands upon thousands with just a few fish and and some loaves of bread. I was worried about how we're going to feed 200 plus people with some muffins and juice. Can you imagine if you saw these things? I imagine your hopes would, this is it. This is the one. He's come. This is king. Like, look at these things that he's doing. But then they saw something that they never thought they'd see. They saw him die. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Talk about having your world turned upside down. But Jesus, we thought you were it. And they see him literally brutally murdered, nailed to a cross, dead on a cross, and then buried. They saw that. What do you think those three days were like? I'm get, well, what do we do now? We just gave three years of our life to following him, and he's dead. What do we do? And then they saw something else they didn't expect. He's back. He's alive. But then he does something that they didn't expect again. These guys have got a mission for you. And then he ascends to heaven. You have to believe that when he came back, they were thinking, he's back. He's conquered death. He's going to conquer all. He'll rule all. Everything is now made right because Jesus conquered death. They weren't expecting Jesus to say, hey, guys, I've got a mission for you. And then he ascends to be with God. And so the the fifth and final thing that I would encourage you to consider would be, consider the mission. Now, I've never seen this. Maybe you have. But have you ever seen someone come back to life? Someone who was dead. Someone that you knew. Someone that you trusted. Someone you had a relationship with. Someone who knew you loved you. And vice versa. You ever seen someone come back from death to life? I'm going to guess that most of us haven't. But if you did, would you listen to them? Would you be interested in what they had to say? Would you do what they told you to do? When I consider Jesus coming back from death to life, and what he comes back, and he gives these men and these women a mission, So consider the mission. This is it. Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if that was you and you heard this, I mean, Wouldn't you be thinking, wait a minute, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? And you want me to say what to to all who? The nations? I'm nobody. I can't do that. Basically, the message was, guys, I want to use you to go change the world. 
I want to use you to go change the world. Jesus was saying, what I've done for you over the past three years, now it is your turn to go and do likewise. So I want, tons of things could obviously be said about just these few verses. It's known as, as the Great Commission, the mission that Jesus entrusted about 120 people with, some men and some women with. He gives them this mission, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. could say a lot, but I'm going to share six words, just words. And I encourage you to write these words down, because they're words that not only help explain this great mission, but they help us understand how this group of men and women literally changed the world. The first word I would give you is disciples. It says Jesus came to his disciples. If you're a follower of Christ, that's you. If you've made the decision to be in relationship with God through Christ, through faith in Christ, you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. I think when most people hear this mission, they're like, oh, well, that's for pastors. That's for professionals. That's for missionaries. This is for you. If you are a follower of Christ, your purpose, your mission in life is to help other people who don't know God begin a relationship with God. And once they begin a relationship with God, your job, your mission that Jesus has entrusted to you as a follower of Christ, help that person grow so that in time they too will help people who are far from God come to know God. This is not just for me. This is not just for pastors, elders. This is for all of us. So the first word I'd want you to remember is disciples. I'm really excited about this one because I don't have to worry or wonder about what my life should be given to. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can leave here today saying, I know what my life, what Jesus told me to make my life about. And it wasn't to make my life about me, my name, my fame, my renown, my money, my power, my position, or uh, possessions. Jesus said, your life will be about making disciples. Number second word I'd point out to you would be, you got disciples. The second one would just be therefore. The reason we do what we do is because the one who told us to do it is the most powerful, authoritative voice in the world. Where it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, meaning in light of who is telling you to go and do this, the one who is the most authoritative one has told us what our mission is, what our, our purpose is. So therefore, in light of who's telling us where to go and do this, the third word that I would tell you to write down would be this, go. Now, this might work different in New England, but in the Midwest, it's a little bit slower. How, how long do you wait before you honk your horn at somebody? I was at a light two days ago, and I generally don't like to honk my horn. I mean, sometimes I do, but not always. And it was two seconds. Like, it was a solid two seconds. And it felt like eternity. And I was like, I'm going to give him one more second. If he doesn't move, he's getting the horn. I don't know the appropriate amount of time to wait when the light turns green, but I gave it about two and a half seconds. And it was a nice, friendly horn. Like, hey, not sure if you noticed, but the light above you has changed from red to green. When I read go, 
The light turned green 2,000 years ago. It's not yellow, it's not red. And Jesus has seen fit to keep the light green. This is the message of go. You're a disciple. I've given, I'm the authority here. I'm telling you, go. Oh, Jesus, it's a busy week. It's a crazy season of my life. The message of go is not conditional upon your, your calendar and your schedule and if you're feeling like it or not feeling like it. The light turned green. Green means we go. That's an amazing thing. There's no red light. There's no yellow light. Jesus turned to green and said, go. The fourth word I'd encourage you to write down would be mission. He didn't just say go. He gave us something very specific to do. He didn't just say go and figure it out and kind of wander around and I hope things go well for you. He said specifically go and he gave us a mission and the mission is just simply this. Go make disciples. If you're a disciple, go make other disciples. That's the mission. If you know God, help people who don't know God, who are far from God, come to know and begin a relationship. And if they choose to receive a relationship with God through Christ, then help that person to make all of their lives about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is absolutely worth it. That is your mission. That is the green light that we've been given, is to go and to make other disciples teaching, baptizing, obeying. What I love about what Jesus has done here, he didn't give us a project to complete. I don't have a checklist and neither should you of, well, I discipled, so therefore I'm done. What next? This is a lifelong commitment, not to a project, but to people. If you would be a person who helps someone who doesn't know God come to begin a relationship with God, you got to love that person. You got to care for that person. You got to sit with that person. And listen to their questions. Walk through any doubts or fears that they might have. That takes a loving heart. And if that person receives God, then you know what? You spend your life helping that person to walk with God. Teaching them about the incredible things of God. This is the mission that Jesus has given. Number five Two words, really, all nations. He said, go, this is your mission. Go make disciples. And then it was very clear, not just to one person, not just to your favorite person. Go make disciples of everybody. All nations literally just means all people. No one is beyond hearing or receiving the message of God's grace. So this means that we go, every single person that is in your life, is someone that God has strategically placed there so that you can make a disciple. This means that every single person, all people, this includes the people you don't like, this includes the people that don't like you, this includes the people that frustrate you, tire you, hurt you, love you, all people, all nations, go make disciples of all nations. So as you consider all of the people in your life, I would love for you to begin considering them that God has strategically placed that person, the hard person, the easy person, and everyone in between as a person that God wants to use you to either reach, to help them begin the journey with God, or to help them 
in a journey already begun. Every single person in your life bears the same image of God on their life that you do. You might treat them or see them as an inconvenience, as a nuisance, but God doesn't. He put that man, that woman, that child in your life so you'd love them. And they could begin the journey as well. Number six word, and this will be the last word. We got disciples, we got therefore, go, mission, all nations. And the sixth word is presence. And presence just simply means Jesus is with you. If you honestly believe that Jesus is with you at all times, in all conversations, in all situations, I mean Jesus, King, Lord, Messiah, Savior, God, and if you believe that he is with you, all with you, do you think that would change anything in your day-to-day life? Don't you think you would approach conversations very differently with greater confidence to encourage people or challenge people or inspire people and communicate the great love of God? Well, you have great confidence because you're not alone. You're not by yourself. I think most struggle with this idea is, well, I feel alone because I'm treating this promise uh, of his presence as conditional. Like I feel his presence when I was good, when I didn't sin, when I read my Bible, when I was nice or kind or caring or I gave my white envelope away. Then that's, that's when Jesus is really with me. But when I'm having my off day, when I'm just sinning like it's my job, I'm selfish and self-reliant and not praying, not serving, not giving, not doing and doing and doing, well, then Jesus is gone. This is not a conditional promise from Jesus to you. I'm with you. He's given us a mission to go change the world. And he said, you're not going to do it alone. I will be with you. But the mission wasn't like, hey, sit back and watch what I can do as I change the world. The mission was, you guys go do what I've been doing. And I am so with you. I will help, I will encourage, I will empower. Disciple, therefore, go, mission, all nation, presence. What did these guys do? What did they do with this incredible mission that Jesus entrusted to them before he went to heaven? Well, we're going to spend the next year unpacking that answer. But one answer I'll give you that just inspires me. They did it. They changed the world because they did it. Because they said, Jesus told us to do it. We'll go. We'll do. We'll make disciples. The world is is different. Michael Green, commentator in Acts, said this, three crucial decades in world history. That is all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion in the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion presumed adherents. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this The time when it took decisive root was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. It changed the world in 30 years. 
Luke later on in, uh, as he's recounting what's happening in Acts, in Acts chapter 17 says this, these men who have turned the world upside down. These guys, these men and women were having such a profound impact that their testimony was they are literally turning the world upside down. 30 years, that's it. 30 years, these men and women were used by God to make a difference in the world you and I now live in. So why are you and I going to spend a year investing our lives, our time, our energy in studying the story of Acts? Again, we'll unpack that as we go, but I'll give you one reason. And I'll give you one reason, the primary reason we're doing it. I believe with all my heart that God wants to use you. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to use all of us, this church, this community, to change the world. Now, some of you might be like, Michael, you're the dreamer type, you're the visionary. Of course, you're going to believe something as crazy as that. But I would challenge you and ask you, if you don't, why don't you? Is your view of God that small that you don't believe that God could use you to change someone else's world? Is your view of God that small where you don't believe that God could take a community of 200 plus men and women who were committed to the message and the mission of Jesus to change the world? In 30 years, I believe with all my heart that this world would look different if the men and women sitting in this room today would say he's worth it. I will stake all of my life on Jesus because he's worth it. And then just hang on for the ride and see what Jesus will do with a community of men and women committed to his mission and his message. Where will you be 30 years from now? And I know for most of you, that's way too big of a question because you're like, I don't even know what Tuesday looks like. I'll be 70. By the grace of God, I'll still be walking with God, and I'll have a testimony of a world that changed around me because of a community of men and women that said, let's take Jesus seriously, because he's worth it. Where will you be in 30 years? Now, I realize some of you, that's a scary question because you're older than 40. But you know what? In 30 years, if you're not here, do you know where you are? with him. If you are a Christian, a disciple, or follower of Jesus, you will be in heaven. And that should not scare you. That should excite you. That should motivate, whether it's 10 more years, 20 more years, to make all of you about all of him all of the time. Where will you be in 30 years? We're only three years old as a church. That's it. I am so excited to see what God would do with a community of men and women who just said, let's go for it. The light turned green. He's given us a mission. He's given us a message. Let's do it. One of the things that inspires me about this group of men and women is they did not do it alone. They were not by themselves. They did mission and message in the context of community. What you're experiencing this morning sitting around tables is actually pretty biblical. When they got together, they sat around tables. 
They broke bread together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They listened to what scriptures had to say together. And then they got up from the table and said, let's go. It's green still. Let's go make disciples. And they did this together. Three challenges I would give you. If we would do this together, if you and I would be used by God to make an impact and influence this world over the next 30 years. Number one is we'd become Christ-like all of the time, not just some of the time. Like being a Christian is not just part-time. It's not three-quarter time. It's not 90% time. If we would be used by God to impact and influence and change this world, we'd become Christ-like all of the time, not just some of the time. Francis Chan in his new book, Multiply, said, that's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, carry on his ministry, and become like him in the process. Yet somehow, many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ. If you're a Christian, you are growing to be and look and act like Christ. You can't claim to be a Christian if you are not being Christ-like. It's just not possible to be a disciple of someone and not end up being like that person. Here's one practical way. If you would become and grow in Christ's likeness, you would love. You would love people. And start with the people at your table. Start with the people in this room. Is that you would love people. All people. Jesus said in John 13, So now I give you a new command, a commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. If we would like to have a testimony to the world around us, let it be, my goodness, look at how this community of men and women who are so different, so diverse, have different personalities, backgrounds and stories, different issues and bags. Like, look at how they love each other. They're not gossiping. They're not criticizing one another. They're genuinely loving one another being gracious and kind and forgiving and forbearing. If we can't do that with one another, how could we possibly do it with anybody else? Jesus says the way you love one another, that's your testimony to the world that you're with me. Roman Emperor Julian in 300 AD was really frustrated with the Christians because the Christians in 300 were having such a profound impact on Roman culture. And he was doing anything and everything he possibly could to thwart this movement called Christianity. And he said this, Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service tendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. Just consider that. This Roman emperor is, how is it possible that there in, in Rome, millions of people who are beggars, but in the Jewish community, there is not one. There is not one. And he goes on, and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. This doesn't make sense. I get that they care for themselves, but my goodness, they're caring for Roman citizens, Roman culture. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. 
See, if you're not convinced that Jesus is worth it, then you will just sit back and do whatever is most comfortable and convenient for you, the path of least resistance. But if Jesus is worth it, and he is, then you will give all of yourself all of the time to loving all people. So number one, that we'd become Christ-like all of the time, not just some of the time. And number two, that we'd make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. You see, this is a generational thing. I don't know if you've ever considered this about you, but you can have an impact on the generations that will come after you. Too many men and women do not live generationally. They live just for themselves. And there's, after they go, there's nothing. But if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and if you and I would be used to change this world, we're going to make disciples. That will make disciples. That will make disciples. Paul says this to Timothy. In Timothy 2, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Did you see that there were four generations in that one verse? Paul saying to Timothy, Paul is generation one. Timothy is generation two. Generation three, Timothy, what you've heard me say, what you've seen me do, now entrust that to reliable, trustworthy, faithful men. That's generation three, so that those reliable, faithful, trustworthy men will entrust it to others. That is four generations. Doesn't that inspire you that you could be used by God to inspire four generations of people just because you were faithful with the mission and the message that Jesus entrusted to you? Light turned green. He said, go, you decided to go. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Now generations are being impacted and influenced. The world is getting changed because 200 of us sitting here today said, Jesus is worth it. The last thing I would say, challenge for us, is that we would have men and women being obedient to the call of God on their lives. I wouldn't claim to know what God's call on all of your lives is meaning a very specific call of where God wants to use you and how he wants to use you. But I do know this. If we would be men and women who would see this world change in 30 years, by the time I hit 70, there are going to have to be some men and women who step up in this community and say, I'm going to honor God. I will be faithful to God. I will be obedient to God with what God has called me to do. I will not make my life about me. I will make my life and surrender my life Regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the inconvenience, I'm going to be one who honors God with his call on my life. I will be obedient to God's call on my life. Now this morning I wanted to finish by very publicly recognizing, installing, and affirming some men who have expressed a call, a very unique call, a specific call, to serve Jesus and serve this church in the context of either being an elder or deacons. And each of these men have literally submitted themselves to a process to have their call examined. Is this really from God? Is this really what God wants you to do? All right, well, let's examine that. Well, hey, if that's what God wants you to do, your character needs to be consistent with this call. So let's tear apart your life. Let's see what you're really like. Let's see what you're really about. And not just when you're sitting here at church where it's easy. Well, what do you like at home? What do you like with your wife? What do you like at, at, at work? 
Are you a good employee? Do you work hard? Are you generous? Do other people speak well of you? If all of us would be a community that would see God use us to change the world in 30 years, to impact generation after generation after generation, we need men and women say, I'm going to become like Christ all the time. I'm going to make disciples and I'm going to be obedient. Whatever God's called me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do.